independent Americans. Welcome to episode 267. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Super Bowl week is over. Valentine's Day week is here. Fat Tuesday and Mardi Gras is here. But before you eat that Valentine's Day candy or dig into a king cake, now is still very much a time to stay vigilant. Of the presidents of a big country stood up and said, well, sir, uh, if we don't pay and we're attacked by Russia, will you protect us? I said, you didn't pay? You're delinquent? He said, yes, let's say that happened. No, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. You got to pay. He's our worst president ever. And amazingly, he might repeat. It's okay for American football. But the last thing we need in American politics is a dynasty like that. We don't need Trump to be the Kansas City Chiefs or the New England Patriots of politics. We need him to be the Seattle Seahawks, one and done. That's what we need. And we need Biden to somehow pull it out again in the fourth quarter. But he's no Patrick Mahomes. And he has the opposite energy of Travis Kelsey. But... We need him to win two in a row, somehow, just like the Chiefs did. And the Super Bowl was the greatest one I've ever seen, except for the ones where the New York Giants won, of course. But what a game. And what a uniquely unifying moment for most of America, and especially outside of San Francisco and Kansas City. It was amazing. It was harrowing. It was exciting. It was exhilarating. And in typical 2024 fashion, We had about four days to enjoy it before there's been another shooting, this time at the Kansas City Chiefs Celebration Parade. As I record this, at least one person is dead and 10 are injured. And this is happening right after Speaker Johnson voted to impeach the Homeland Security Director Mayorkas. Because in the middle of the Super Bowl and events like this, what should the Homeland Security Director be focused on? A ridiculous impeachment or keeping America safe? It's the kind of petty, partisan, unprecedented games that continue to occupy our politics while danger continues to occupy our minds, our allies, and our enemies. While leaders in this GOP Congress, led by extremists, continue to play partisan, petty, and political games, the dangers are all around us, including now a new report that the Russians are developing a nuke that could be deployed into space. But even that became partisan because Representative Mike Turner, Republican of Ohio and the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, issued a cryptic statement calling on the Biden administration to declassify the material. So he couldn't have worked this behind closed doors. They couldn't figure this out somehow together. Instead, he leaks it to the public and then forces Biden's hand. This is no way to do politics around national security. This happening while people are running in the streets from shootings in Kansas City And Putin is celebrating. He loves this kind of chaos. All our enemies are celebrating. Because our political leaders, and especially radical Speaker Johnson, seem more focused on attacking his political enemies than defending against our real ones. In the same week where Trump directed his minions, including Speaker Johnson, to blow up and delay an urgent spending bill focused on providing support for Ukraine and Israel. So instead of focusing our political attention and energy on defeating Hamas and defeating Putin, Trump, 
is focused on defeating a bill to provide support to our allies and attacking NATO along the way. And it doesn't stop there. Of course it doesn't, because it's Trump and he can't stop. One of his biggest weaknesses is his lack of discipline. And it's no more apparent, it's no more revealed than in those instances where he's talking about our folks in uniform. Over to see me at Mar-a-Lago, sir, I will never run against you. She brought her husband. Where's her husband? Oh, he's away. He's away. What happened to her husband? What happened to her husband? Where is he? He's gone. He knew. So now Trump is attacking Nikki Haley's husband, who's serving right now in uniform as a major in the South Carolina Guard in the Horn of Africa. Chicken Hawk Trump has a pattern of attacking service members and vets. Remember the Khan family? Remember when he attacked General Mattis and General Kelly? And of course, Senator John McCain. It's shameful. It's consistent. It's also bad politics and drives away critical votes from independent Americans and from the moderate Republicans that are still out there. This is no longer the Republican Party of John McCain or Colin Powell or George Bush. This is something very different and very dangerous. And Super Bowl season may be over, but the season of political fuckery is just getting started. And that's why we're bringing back an old favorite. It's not the Lombardi Trophy, but it's almost as prestigious and it's almost as warranted. We're bringing back one of our favorite awards to the one and only President Mayhem himself, You got it, sir. Congratulations on your repeat of this award. You, sir, are our asshole of the week. Congratulations. I drive really slow in the ultra-fast lane While people behind me are going insane I'm an asshole, yo, 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 yo I'm an asshole, but So now that the big showdown is setting up between Biden and Trump, people are dropping out. If you didn't hear, Marianne Williamson has ended her 2024 presidential run. She's like the Carolina Panthers or the New York Jets of presidential candidates after coming in second in South Carolina with just 2% of the vote. Her campaign was in debt and more than a dozen disgruntled staffers had left. Bye. Every vote will count in November. And she'd only take votes away from Biden and help Trump. So Biden... And America's future obviously welcomed this news. And Dean Phillips should hurry up and do the same, because we don't need him around either. He's not helping anyone. And while some are dropping out, others are jumping in. Former Maryland Governor Larry Hogan is running for Senate. He was formerly a Republican. And of course, he's running as a Republican, in case anyone thought he might change to independent. This will be interesting, especially since right now he's facing some Democratic candidates with some pretty low wattage. But he's also facing the rising star power of Governor Wes Moore backing the other side. But it's yet another race that will likely come down to independence in a state where roughly 21 percent of the voters are independent and unaffiliated and a state where primaries are closed, which is bad for independence, bad for Maryland and bad for America. When it comes to respecting and empowering independence, Maryland is like the opposite of New Hampshire which, when it comes to election systems, could be and should be what the future looks like. The time has come to listen to us independent Americans. 2024 is the year, and not just in New Hampshire. 
We're seeing how important independents are in places like New York, where there was a special election this week in New York's third congressional district on Long Island to replace disgraced Republican George Santos. Democrat Tom Suozzi defeated Republican Mozzie Pillip in a special election out on Long Island. Now, Dems are already doing a victory lap, but they shouldn't be. This is also the same district they lost to George Santos and are now only barely beating a no-name extremist who's actually a registered Democrat. Yes, the Republican candidate was actually a registered Democrat and one that Trump didn't support and didn't lean into. And the Democrats ran a candidate who has pretty high name recognition and actually used to hold the same congressional seat. And the GOP in New York is only slightly more of a discombobulated mess than the New York Democratic Party. Now, I know Dems badly want wins and to take the focus off Biden, but this is no time to spike the ball. They better take that win and be better, because fall won't be this easy. It will be full of challenges. It will be full of controversies. And it will be full of assholes. Yes, this week is Valentine's Day. It's also Fat Tuesday, which is Mardi Gras. And it was also a snow day for my kids and for much of the East Coast. So in the midst of all this hardship and controversy and drama, there was reason to have a break, to have some sweets, and to even celebrate. But most of all, to have some perspective. And that's what we'll get in this episode from a returning champion. One of our most popular guests of the last year, she's a true American badass an assistant dean and senior lecturer at Yale University's Jackson School of Global Affairs, and a former associate dean at the Yale Law School. She served as a special agent in the New York Division of the FBI, specializing in counterintelligence investigations. Her work is focused on assessing threats to national security, conducting classified investigations on suspected foreign agents, and performing undercover work. And she's the perfect person to help us break down all that's happening in the legal world around Trump and around Biden. She's our friend, Asha Rangappa. There are so many cases flying around Trump right now, it's hard to keep track. But Asha is going to help us break it down and answer the question, is Trump going to go to jail or not? And what about this new special counsel report on Biden? And what does she think of the overall landscape? She's a trusted voice that we need in this chaotic time. Welcome to another episode full of light to contrast all that heat. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 267. Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world, happy Valentine's Day, happy Mardi Gras, happy Snow Day. There's a lot going on in the world, and especially in the legal and political world, and I'm very happy and honored to bring back a returning champion, one of our favorite guests, the great and powerful Asha Rangappa is back on Independent Americans. Welcome back, my friend. Thanks, Paul. I'm, I'm glad to be back. Uh, I, I ask everyone, uh, where are you and, and how are you on this very cold time on the East Coast? Yeah, I am in Hamden, Connecticut, near New Haven. 
Uh, I work at Yale, so it uh, just snowed yesterday. A lot of snow on the ground right now. And how are you? What's it like teaching in the midst of all this madness? Uh, I'm, I'm sure you've got students hungry for knowledge and full of opinions, but colleges have also now become this hotbed of, of politics and controversy. So what's it like to be at Yale right now? You know, for me, it's been great. I feel like my students are really open-minded and they love to debate and, you know, are open to all kinds of opinions. And actually, I'm teaching national security law right now. And what I love is that Trump always follows along in my syllabus and gives me lots of great hypotheticals to uh, present to them for them to to mull over. So I'm I'm actually looking forward to class today. I'm not looking forward to digging myself out of the snow to get there, but the class itself will be great. Um, your students are lucky to have you. I can't get into all of the Trump, Biden, everything without uh, asking, because this was maybe the most political Super Bowl we've ever seen. Did you watch the game? Do you have thoughts on it and the related multiple controversies surrounding it? I did watch the game. I mean, I mainly watched the end. I'm not a huge football person, but I had it on. And then I did kind of get sucked in at the end. Uh, I had to double check which team makes MAGA crazy because that was the team that I decided that I was going to root for because I have no other investment in the Super Bowl. And so I was pretty happy with the result. Yeah, it's upside down world when MAGA is rooting for San Francisco, right? <laughs> like somewhere Nancy Pelosi is 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 smiling, right? Exactly. Um, but the game was only slightly crazier or maybe slightly less crazy than our politics and national security. You've got such great perspective. I, I, I carried my FBI coffee cup uh, in, in honor of you. I was honored to speak there a couple of years ago on, on Veterans Day. But let me start by asking you maybe a straight up question, because we're coming out of the Super Bowl that was in Vegas and a lot of people are betting. In your view, is Trump going to go to jail before uh, the election? And and do you think he will be found guilty on anything in a court before the election? I do not think that he will be in jail before the election. I think that there is a very strong chance that he may be convicted of one or more crimes before the election. Can we break that down? Because, you know, I feel like even for me as a person who's in political news, it sometimes kind of washes over me. And as often as I'm on MSNBC, that's an extremely skewed viewpoint. I know that I'm not going to be on MSNBC on any day. There's any kind of minute Trump news. That means usually national security is, is off. But but can you kind of break it down for us? What do you think, maybe a threat assessment to Trump, <laughs> what, what are his most immediate uh, pressing threats? Yeah, and you, it is understandable if you are overwhelmed with the legal news. I actually made a Trump court cases cheat sheet for my Substack, which you might want to include for your viewers and listeners. Uh, I did it actually for myself, but, but I, I think it would be helpful for a lot of people following the news. And right now, I think the big question is we have four major criminal cases ongoing. And the question is, which one will actually go to trial? Because each of them has been held up for one reason or another. And right now, we thought for a little while that maybe the January 6th federal case might go first. That was scheduled for March 4th. But right now, the legal issue that Trump raised, which is his absolute immunity argument, you might remember the SEAL Team 6 
uh, claim that he could order a president can order SEAL Team Six to murder their rival and 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 not be held accountable. That issue, which was decided against him in the appellate court, has gone in front of the Supreme Court. So we have to see what the Supreme Court does with that. Will they take the case? Uh, will they stay the circuit court's proceedings? In any event, that case will not go to trial on March 4th. The classified documents case is moving at a snail's pace. That is in some ways to be expected because it involves national security, classified documents. There's a lot of hearings about how that is exchanged between the parties. Uh, so that one is going slow. It's not going to get go anytime soon. And the Georgia case has got some problems right now <laughs> because the prosecutor there is under fire for some possible ethical violations. So I think what we're likely to see is the Manhattan DA case go first. And this is a flashback to season one. So all of your favorite characters from <laughs> season one of the Trump show, Stormy Daniels and Michael Cohen are all going to be back on the scene. And I think it's actually fitting in a way because the whole Stormy Daniels hush money payment to me is the OG of election interference. And I think that that is the theory of Bragg's case. I think what he's going to say is, look, I know this is about falsification of business records. It might seem not important, but really what was being concealed here was information that voters might have voted differently had they known. And so his intention was to basically defraud the voting public. So you've got and folks who are Yankee fans, maybe you can understand this comparison. When you go to Yankee fan, fan games, they do the great train race where you've got like all the trains that lead to Yankee Stadium are up on the big board and they race to Yankee Stadium and everybody cheers for a different train. And I feel like that's the Democrats right now, for sure. And, and much of America, maybe some inside the Republican Party. And, and what Trump wants to do is, is to slow all the trains down, get a couple of them to derail his strategy is not unlike Putin's, right? He wants to delay, 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 and kind of wear everybody out. And, and it feels to me like in, in that regard, he's winning. I mean, this, this Fannie Willis fiasco is just like, you know, it's it's an early Easter present for, for Trump here. I mean, he's licking his chops. And I don't know how this happens. I mean, maybe can you just help us understand? I mean, they vet candidates. Uh, does Fannie Willis not go through some kind of vetting process to expose vulnerabilities that could you know, jeopardize the entire case on behalf of the American people? How does that happen? Well, let's get to Fannie in a second. But I think your point about the delay is really important. And it, just to unpack that a little bit. The reason that Trump wants to delay is that it it, it it's not that being convicted it would actually stop him from continuing to run for president, from winning uh, the presidency, from actually holding office. There's nothing that bars him. He can be a convicted felon and still be president of the United States. He can be sentenced to jail and still be president of the United States. So people need to understand that. But what he does get if he becomes president is he gets enormous levers of power. And if he is president, he also ha gets to appoint the attorney general, which means that he can actually make these federal cases disappear. And if he becomes president, the states, which are separate sovereigns, 
theoretically could still proceed in their cases, but I think it's an outstanding legal question on whether a state can prosecute a sitting president. So that would then get further tied up in all kinds of legal shenanigans. So you can see that his interest here is to essentially make these cases go away. So speaking of cases going away, <laughs> um, Bonnie Willis is an elected prosecutor. So really the vetting is supposed to come from the voters. Uh, and you know, look, she has been a successful prosecutor. She's, uh, she's prosecuted several cases uh, very successfully. I think here she had a major, in my opinion, a major lapse in judgment. Um, I think here's my PSA to prosecutors prosecuting what might be the biggest case of your career and probably the biggest case in the history of the country um, is to not get into a relationship with the special prosecutor that you've, you've hired to prosecute your case. Um, just wait, just wait for the trial to be over. Like, you know, instant gratification is not your friend in this situation. Um, and so the question here for her is uh, whether she has a conflict of interest mm -hmm. uh, because of this personal relationship and especially whether there was any kind of financial benefit that she received. Because remember, she hired the special prosecutor, Nathan Wade. He gets paid a salary from the state of Georgia. And then they were going on vacations together. And the allegation that's being made by one of the defendants is that essentially this allows her to benefit from the money that Nathan Wade is making. And I, you know, in some way gives them an incentive to continue this case. I should point out, by the way, that the defendant that actually brought this motion to disqualify her uh, is an oppo researcher. So um, maybe yeah. if you're deciding to indict an oppo researcher, you want to make sure all your skeletons are out. And, you know, she could have disclosed this to the court. She could have right. said up front, you know, that this relationship was happening. Actually, that's not a basis for disqualification. There's some case law on that. Um, and it just goes to, I mean, you know, candor is always going to be your friend, I think, in these kinds of situations. Uh, so if the judge disqualifies her, and he has said that it can be an actual conflict of interest or the appearance of a conflict of interest, what happens is not just Bonnie Willis, but her entire office gets disqualified from prosecuting this case, which means that I don't know exactly who it falls to, maybe the governor, like they have to find an entirely new DA's office to take on this case, to get up to speed with what's left now. I think um, 15 defendants and all of the legal issues, this huge sprawling RICO case, which I think effectively means that it becomes a very slim chance that this ends up seeing a jury. So that, that train is like, off the tracks going to Queens, right? Like that train is in, in from an outside view. And I, I see a conflict of interest. I'm, I want Trump to go to jail as much as anybody, but this Fannie Willis thing is a disaster. And I, you know, if she seems like she's de delaying the inevitable and she should just step down or give it up. It's like watching Senator Menendez, you know, try to fight this out when he's got his hand in a cookie jar. I mean, it's just, she's hurting everyone by trying to fight this. So I'm not putting my eggs in that basket, but for those of us that are, in the national security space that seem to feel like many of these things are important, but the insurrection thing is kind of a big deal. Um, it, why, why is that not have a finer point? Why is, is the insurrection component not front and center? Because my argument is 
whether he goes to jail or not, whether he's convicted or not, whether he wins or not, he is a national security threat because of what he's doing, because of what he says, because his threats of violence, because his ability and willingness to mobilize people toward violence. So every day he's walking free. I think he's a danger to our country. But why has the insurrection piece not been more focused on him and not moved forward faster when it feels like that is the most dangerous of them all? Are, do you mean the January 6th case? In yes. 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 Yeah. Well, that's the one that's been tied up with this absolute immunity argument. And the special counsel, Jack Smith, has actually initially, after Judge Chutkin ruled against Trump on that claim, tried to get the to go uh, when Trump appealed it, tried to get that appeal directly to the Supreme Court to just get that resolved. Because once that's resolved, that trial can go forward. Um, and obviously, as we just said, Trump wants to slow that down. And I think it will really be interesting to see how the Supreme Court handles that. Now, the Supreme Court, it is looking very likely that they are going to overturn the Colorado decision disqualifying Trump from the ballot. I think they're going to find some way to say that he can't be disqualified unless Congress does something. Um, so I think, I mean, my personal opinion is that they might then balance that out by just saying, hey, we're not going to hear this absolute immunity claim. There's really nothing for us to clean up here. This is a pretty obvious, uh, you know, um, standard that, you know, everyone has to be held accountable under the criminal laws um, of the United States, uh, in which case that case can proceed. Um, and then if that case does proceed, I do think the insurrection piece will come front and center. Now, he's been charged with four crimes in that case. Uh, three of them involve conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy to obstruct a proceeding of Congress, uh, obstructing um, a, an official proceeding. So those all that all goes to kind of the uh, attempt to stop the vice president from counting the votes and getting a fake slate of electors. But one of those charges is also a conspiracy against rights. And this is a criminal statute that was passed in the aftermath of the Civil War as a way of enforcing the Reconstruction Amendments, the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment, um, because uh, Blacks were being intimidated from exercising their civil rights. And so that is the one that gets to the use of force and intimidation to prevent people from uh, vindicating their civil rights, in this case, from having their votes counted. So if that can get in front of a jury, then Jack Smith will be presenting a lot of evidence about the way in which Trump incited violence, that his mm. intention was to uh, intimidate our government, our members of, of Congress, to prevent them from allowing the will of the people to go forward. So we really need that to happen mm -hmm. uh, before the election, I think, for that to take center stage. Which, which I feel like politically is also the most damaging to him because, yeah. you know, there, there, I think there are some Democrats right now who might be saying, shit, we hope he stays out of jail because it's looking like he's down in the polls in some areas, especially among independents. Maybe, you know, every, a lot of the pundits, I think, have this wrong. And I think Trump is weaker against Biden than many people are predicting. And I think he's continuing to get weaker. So I feel like those are the things that really matter to voters, too, because they can see it, right? Like the stuff with Stormy Daniels and all the other components seem kind of mysterious and bureaucratic. But the January 6th stuff, like, 
like was there for everyone to see. You can read the tweets. You can see what he said. We saw what happened. I think that's especially damning. And you've got a Boy Scout like Jack Smith, right? Like who reminds me of like, you know, Robert Mueller. We've got these Boy Scouts that they put up that seem to have been vetted, that seem to have been almost politically bulletproof. But in, in, in the context of all of this, Asha, is also this Biden report. And I want to ask you about that because, again, independent Americans, we've got people from all sides, but a lot of independents who are trying to call balls and strikes here, right? And when I hear that report, um, I understand you can say, you know, Biden allies can say he went overboard uh, and, 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 and it's a hit job. But at the end of the day... It, I mean, it's still kind of damning, right? I mean, it basically said he's old and and he didn't know what he was doing uh, when handling classified documents, which I guess you could make as a legal argument, but kind of cuts to the core of what worries people the most about Biden, not just because of his age, but also this is the part that people don't want to say out loud because most people don't trust Kamala Harris to be president, especially independents and moderates, right? Liberal base loves Kamala Harris, but if you want to move independents, those are the kinds of things that, that move them one way or the other. So can you call it straight from your standpoint, this Biden report that, that really calls out his age and frailty, if you will, what's your, your takeaway and read on this? Yeah. So just one quick note, just on the January 6th political front, and then I'll move to the Biden one, is that the other reason that that case will be incredibly politically damaging for Trump is that the witnesses will all be Republicans. And people will be hearing people, Republicans who under oath will testify truthfully as they did in front of the January 6th committee. Um, and I think that itself will be uh, really, you know, something that would be hard for Trump to overcome. Yeah. On the her report, I think this was in some ways a sloppily written report because the executive summary seems to suggest that uh, Biden willfully retained classified documents. That's what everyone seized on. Uh, and the only thing that that refers to is his private notes um, that was, I think, in his diaries, uh, which obviously he knew that he had kept. But th that's never I mean, Reagan had a diary that, you know, where uh, he kept his own notes about Iran-Contra that, that was actually turned over to the independent counsel when sure. Iran was being investigated. No one's ever been prosecuted for that. On the remaining um, classified documents, uh, the special counsel did not find sufficient evidence that he could prove that willfulness. Um, and so he's also, you know, I think trying to explain, and he does, he sh is supposed to explain under the special counsel regulations, his reasons for a declination to prosecute. Like, why is he not bringing charges? So one is the sufficiency of the evidence. And where he brings up Biden's age is, and I mean, you know, it has been like decades for some of the stuff that was packed up, like after he, you know, left office or whatever, mm -hmm. and, um, uh, and, and has been sitting in his garage. Uh, what he's saying is that he, that Biden could present a number of innocent defenses and be very sympathetic to a jury. And, you know, they would just, they would see him as uh, this older man that, you know, just doesn't remember all these details. I mean, again, this is also Ronald Reagan, by the way, <laughs> during yeah. Iran-Contra was like, yeah, I don't remember. I don't recall. So, I mean, I don't know that this is like unique to Biden. Um, whether that was really outside of his remit, I'm not sure. I think he could have phrased that in a less kind of politically inflammatory way. I mean, I think he could have just said that he would be sympathetic 
to a jury uh, because of the time, because of the passage of time and the fact that, you know, he's older or something like that. The way that he phrased it really is something that the media seized on. And um, but I think the big piece that no that became overlooked in this are the key differences between this and the Trump classified documents case. And, you know, you remember the saying with Bill Clinton when he said it's the economy, stupid. Mm -hmm. uh, this is it's the obstruction, stupid. Mm -hmm. You know, it's there's just no evidence in the Biden case. And her says this, that he intended or tried to obstruct the investigation anyway. In fact, he actually volunteered. He he reported it. He self-reported had the FBI come search everything and then complied with everything. And I think if Trump had done that, uh, he would not be in the situation that he's in mm. with that particular case either. It's also the politics of it, right? I mean, it's it's almost it's a lot like national security, but on these legal cases, it's like what can be pulled out and weaponized? Because most people aren't going to read the report. They're not going to understand the legalese. They're going to follow, you know, whatever news source they're, they're already following that's just going to compound and weaponize things. And I think the challenge for Biden is it kind of hit him where it hurts. It hit him on his age. It hit him on his, you know, on, on whether or not he, he he's fast enough to keep up with what's happening in the world. And, and right now, I think even the youngest of people are having a hard time keeping up with what happening in the world but you're helping us do that and i know you've got to run over to abc to do another hit so i want to thank you for helping us understand this madness um i hope you'll come back again um i recommend everybody check out ash's Substack, check her out on abc and on twitter where you are holding the line on twitter like me like we're still there i know right? i tried to leave and then i it's like a abusive boyfriend or something like i just come back it's just it's a really shitty club that you, you loved when you were younger and you still have some friends there. And it's like, man, I like that place. The music used to be better and the drinks used to be cheaper. And and now we're all older, but you know what? There's still something here. So I'm in there with you. So okay. I'll see you at Club X uh, in, in the future. Thank you for all you do, Asha, for uh, your students and for this country. We really appreciate your leadership and, and your clarity in times like this, especially. Thank you. Thanks, Asha. Stay vigilant. Bye-bye. All right, Asha is full of good information. Be sure to follow her on social media, look for her on ABC, and check out the link to her substack, The Freedom Report, which I have linked in the show notes here. She is definitely a helper. Always look for the helpers. There were there will always be helpers. You know, even just on the sidelines. If you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. Speaking of helpers, a special Valentine's Day thank you to all of our Patreon members. Thank you for chipping in to support this work and keeping it going. Go to independentamericans.us if you want to join them. Send us a Valentine gift and become a Patreon member. You can also feel free to send me a king cake. If you don't know what that is, a king cake is a traditional Mardi Gras cake that has a little baby hidden inside. A plastic baby, not a real one. It's delicious, it's fantastic, and if you get the baby, you get good luck, and you're supposed to throw the party next year, and it just keeps the party going. My kids and I made one the other night, and it was fantastic. Extremely messy, but nevertheless delicious, and it gives me a chance to wish you all a very happy Mardi Gras. Five, baby. I don't leave nobody high. Won't you hurry up?
speaking of getting together, I got two events coming up that I want to put on your radar. I'm going to be speaking at South by Southwest, the big conference in one of my favorite cities, Austin, Texas, on March 9th at 4 o'clock. I'm moderating a panel called Independence, Wielding the Power to End Polarization. I'm going to be on it with Jackie Sollett, the president of Independent Voting, our friend Andrew Yang, co-chair of the Forward Party, and Yinka Folletti, the board chair of Veterans for Political Innovation. There's a link in the show notes. If you're going to be down for South by Southwest, check it out. March 9th, 4 o'clock. Join us. Also during South by Southwest, on March 10th at 10 a.m., I'm going to be joining Army Futures Command. My friends over at Army Futures Command have invited me to be a part of a panel on psychedelics and PTSD. Yes, it's called Battle Scars and Sacred Plants, Veterans Championing Psychedelics for PTSD. The wounds of war are not always visible, and for many vets, PTSD can be very difficult, and many are in search of alternatives. Enter psychedelics. Psychedelics are having a profound impact on the PTSD and veterans community, and we are going to talk about it. I'm going to be there with Maya Slalovitz from the New York Times, Dr. Sharif Ellen Hall, the Secretary of Health at the Department of Veterans Affairs, and Representative Dan Crenshaw, who is a firebrand Republican, former Navy SEAL officer that you may have once seen on Saturday Night Live. He's the guy with the eye patch. But we'll be there in Texas, coming into South by Southwest at March 12th, 10 a.m., 800 Congress. I'm going to link to that in the show notes, and I'll keep you updated in the weeks to come. And I also hope to be able to pull together a live event, a live studio audience, Independent Americans episode during South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. So stay tuned for more of that. And be sure to check me out every Wednesday on News Nation at 3 p.m. with Colin McShane, where I will break down the latest political and national security news. I'm also often on Deadline White House on MSNBC with Alicia Menendez. I was on this Monday. I'll probably be on again on Friday and on a lot of Wednesdays. Check social media for more. And if you're not already following us on social media, please do so. And, of course, subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. Because our independent movement is the hope for the future. And America might be more divided than ever, but we at Independent Americans and Righteous Media are working to change that, adding light to contrast the heat of all the other political and news shows. Country over party, people over politics, light over heat, busting up the status quo and fueling a new movement that spans all across our society. Like the positive energy of Mardi Gras, our movement is growing. I hope you liked this episode with Asha. If you did, please share it far and wide and invite others to declare their independence. And stay vigilant, my friend, because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And know you're not alone in your vigilance. We are all vigilant, and we're all in this together. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening. Down with Hamas. Down with Putin. Slava Ukraine. Stay vigilant, America. And happy Mardi Gras! Righteous Media.